into the back of him and then he goes flying off it oh, through no. past the apex i'm like oh man my my teammate's gone you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and he probably thinks it was me and then, uh, <laughs> and then i came through from 34th to like 14th or something like that so it was a nice recovery and the last few laps i was just watching the scoreboard because i saw joey and leclerc battling for p1 yeah. who was in that who was in that 18 under world teams board championship uh, russell george russell george russell yeah charles leclerc Anthony Hubert. Was Max around then? No. Nah, he wasn't. I don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't there yeah. with that one. That's all I can remember. Yeah, yeah. okay. Wow. So what years was this? 2012. 2012, okay, yep. How old were you back then? 17. 17, okay, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah right. And you'll literally try – so after that, your goal was basically to go into Formula Cars, wasn't it? Yeah, my goal had been IndyCar basically the whole time. Yeah. That's why I was, like, heading towards the States. But okay. kind of, like, on the way there, I saw Japan mm. through just – personal experience and then realize what's available. So then that's where I kind of adjusted my trajectory. Hey everyone. Thanks for tuning into On the Couch with Hooli. This is Australia's number one motorsports podcast, where we interview motorsport personalities from all sides of the track, both locally and internationally. Whether it's two or four wheels, flat or dirt tracks, we get to know their stories. Hang on, Hawley. I just want to point out some key information for our listeners. What makes this podcast different is your host, Hooli, is a racing champion himself. That's definitely true. I ask the questions others might miss who don't have the experience behind the wheel. And a big kicker that makes us so different from the others is we're not here to get the latest headlines. Yes, we cannot emphasize that enough. We want to hear stories, lessons learned, challenges faced, the highs and lows, but we don't want to bully, pester, or in general, be assholes to our guests. Well, that's enough from us. So let's get into it and hear it from our next guest, Beyond the Helmet. On today's episode. On today's episode. On today's episode. Oh, uh, yeah. There you go. Oh, is it recording? <laughs> on today's episode, we've got Super GT racer Jake Parsons, who is taking Japan by storm. Born in Melbourne, Jake spent most of his childhood growing up in Sydney's northern beaches. From humble beginnings that saw him too scared to hop in a go-kart at the age of seven, he is now winning Super GT races with the factory Honda squad in Japan. Jake has raced everything from karts, Formula Ford, Indy NXT, Formula 3, Super Taikyu, Super GT 300 and even the GT4s. So hold on to your hats and let's buckle down and get to know Jake Parsons. All right, Jake's without the headphones, so yeah. I, I guess I guess we'll start with uh, <laughs> how um how have you you've obviously been living in Japan, so you, so start the um the podcast like that, I guess. So, okay, yeah. yeah. So where should I look? Look at you, where, look at the you, camera. Oh, you can yeah, just look, talk to us talk normally, to and us, the camera's like, just picking it all up. Yeah. So it's totally fine. Yeah. yeah. So you can either look either way, and yeah. Okay, sweet. Um, yeah. So I've been living in Japan for seven years now, yep. which has kind of gone by pretty quick. Uh, moved there in 2017 for Super GT. And then, uh, yeah, just been staying there ever since, basically trying different categories, moving up to different teams. So, um, yeah, been loving it, but it's it's flown by. Yeah. Can you actually tell us a bit about the Japanese culture? Because 
for us, as you were saying upstairs, like there's a lot of difference between obviously Australia and Japan and you've come here and you have to acclimatise back to Australia. So mm. what's like the, the cultural differences and like with your language, you know, for mm. you said you were intermediate. So can you just explain yeah. a bit, a bit, bit, bit about that? Yeah, I would say it's pretty different because like I, I raced in the States before I went to uh, Japan and before that obviously always in Australia. So I was very like kind of um, used to the kind of the whole Western mindset when it comes to the team dynamics and all that type of thing. But in Japan, it's, it's very much like kind of, it's more seg- segmented, I think like a little bit more hierarchy style. Like you have to listen to the team boss and he's got a bit more power, a bit more say. Yeah. Um, but I guess one nice thing in, in Japan is a lot of the private teams as well. They're actually quite well funded usually by the team boss. So they have a little bit more say, but they're paying all the bills. So you go, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. So that's a bit of a difference, I think. Um, yeah, and then outside that, the language barrier has been a pretty big one as well just because some teams have English speakers, mm. but other teams have zero. So, like, my first season with Honda had zero. So I was like, oh, man, like, uh, I'm kind of moving up, but I'm also adding an extra level of challenge mm. into the whole process. So, yeah, that, that's been pretty interesting just to adjust to all that. And I would say, like, I'm reasonably well adjusted now yeah but uh it's still not like natural all the time yeah 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 right i've got to ask uh, we were talking to this about to bart dance coach barton Mora, and he said he tried to go over there and i know i've lived there as well it can be quite you know an insular community mm. and they can be protective of it and sometimes it, it, it is hard also like they're very friendly and everything as well but how did you break into the scene when there was that language barrier because mm. was there sort of a connections there or how did it make because I know how challenging it can be to break through into the culture and have people you know sort of receive you in and that how did how did you go about it and getting involved yeah, I mean, I didn't really know too much about it before I went there. And I think that was like a little bit of a, maybe a, would have been nice if I had done a bit more research beforehand. Uh, the way like a lot of the drivers come through there is it's very much through their system, Suzuka Racing School, Toyota Racing Academy, uh, coming in with sort of my own CV from a few different places. They didn't necessarily like take into account, oh, like what what's the road to Indy all about? Or as you say, very insular type of place. So um yeah, I think that was its own challenge as well, just kind of proving myself there. I, I had a CV I thought that would sort of carry me into there pretty comfortably, uh, but I basically had to kind of grow it again and sort of prove it again when I got there. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of a challenge, yeah. So how's how's the – obviously, you know, we've raced carts and gone to Formula 4 together. Mm. How does their, you know, their racing system work? So you start at go-karts, obviously, or mm. even sim racing these days. How does it go from there? Well, yeah, I feel like in, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been a while, but in Australia, I remember sort of you go through karting, then you're kind of on your own through that sort of like entry into formula cars, that mid-range sort of series until you start creeping up towards supercars. You can have like super two with some maybe team connection type of thing to like the the main game. But uh, in Japan, you've kind of got a system the whole way over there. And I think that's good or bad. Like if, if the system works for you, then that's great. You know, if you're working well within the environment there and stuff, that's great. But uh, yeah, I think that's the main difference because you come out of basically carts and you've already got some kind of manufacturer connection, really. Yeah. Suzuka Racing School or the Toyota program. And then you're kind of like, if you're in one of those, you're kind of like uh, 
helped and assisted along the way you get into the right teams and you go to the, the next steps kind of uh, a little bit more sort of assisted. Yeah. But I think here it's pretty freestyle, right? You get out of karting and yeah. it's like, yeah, you want to race cars, off you go. Yeah. Find your way. So um, that's pretty, yeah, I um, say it So are they, like, are they like America where they actually have like a, like a money system, basically like a purse pushing them through the system ranks? Like yeah. in NASCAR IndyCar or? A you, little you bit. Went, you went to America, so you would have seen yeah. both versions of, I guess, motor racing. Right, yeah, like the Road to Indy system, mm. right, where you, if you can win the championship, you get the scholarship yeah. year up. So that was what attracted me because obviously like budget's a critical factor for people to get to the top mm. and uh, it was always a challenge to be able to move to the next step. So that's the reason I went for the States. Um, but, yeah, it's more of a private version, I guess. It's like it's not up for grabs just by winning the championship. If you're in one of the manufacturer systems, you have to prove it on the track and then like off the track with the data and heaps of different things, they kind of just have to approve it. There's not necessarily like a, a checklist. Oh, he's done this. Okay, he's in the next one. That's how it is in Road to Indy. But yeah. Do yeah. they have a licensing system like they have with the supercars license thing that's going on now? No. No. Have you no. spoken to Joey about that? I haven't, that no, but down? I've kind of seen a little bit of what's going on, right? The requirement yeah. is a gold status of uh, the FIA license, right? Something mm. like that. Yeah. So I think it's like, yeah, as you said, the FIA bronze, silver and... But yeah, mm. apparently over there, I mean, apparently overseas, it doesn't translate to Australia. So they've got their own supercar. And that's mm-hmm. what we're talking to about Craig in the, in the episode before, where I was just wondering if Japan had something similar, because America kind of does with their purse, mm. the, the road to indie thing, but supercars has got their own thing within it. Yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's way more looser, I think. Cause like you just get, you kind of in the series I'm doing right now, you get like a category of like a- amateur expert or or pro, basically. Mm. They've kind of split their version of silver and gold is expert and pro. Yep. And pro is only if you've become like a super GT champion or you're racing in GT500. Everyone else, like GT300 drivers, some GT500 drivers are all in the expert class. Yeah. So it's super easy. You don't need to be a certain license to move up. I think that's fine in Japan, but if you try and race outside, like if I wanted to come back and do supercars, yeah, it's a bit of a black hole for that licensing system or the FIA one. So yeah, how does the how does actually well how did Super GT come about? Because Bart was explained to Brooke and I like it was just it started from kind of like World Time Attack in a way, and it just grew from it kind of grew from you know a small thing to a big thing, and then they had to control it. And mm-hmm. can you explain to like the Aussie audience and you know the Americans like how mm. that? like that category came about yeah well to my knowledge it's kind of had a few iterations along the way Mm. the one before super gt was japan touring car championship yep and uh that was kind of like in the 90s i think super gt was from 1994 might be wrong uh but that's when they kind of kind of standardize it a little bit and before that it was very much more open and a little bit more like tuning shops in their backyard or tuning shops in their garage would just turn up with crazy cars that they've put together yeah. and, uh, and race it like that. And there's a lot of sort of historical uh, pictures of like, you know, the early GTRs and stuff with huge body kits and all that time attack style setup. Um, and eventually I think just as things go, as the technology goes up, the gaps get bigger. So they have to control it a bit more. Yeah. So now it's pretty much FIA GT3 plus DTM class one put together. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then so where did you start with Super GT? Was it with, with Honda first or was it with another? Because you've gone through a few categories or a few, you know, teams and stuff. Right, so. yeah. Um, it started with Audi actually. Yeah. So back in 2014, I was racing the Asia Cup Championship, which is Formula BMW basically. Yeah. 
Um, and that was kind of my first full season outside of Australia to race uh, like abroad. And doing that championship kind of opened my eyes a little bit to what's available in outside of Australia. I didn't know about Super GT or Super Formula. And so that came about because I met a contact during that season who his name's uh, Hideki Noda. He's actually an ex-F1 driver from Japan. Yep. And uh, in Japan, one of the Toyota teams is called Saad. Uh, you might have seen them in GT500. They've run for like a long time. But uh, they do, at that time, they had a team in GT300 as well, which is basically GT3. So Hideki moved from 500 into running the 300 team. And uh, I'd just finished my year in the States then. So this was a little bit after I'd yeah. met him. And uh, I said to him, hey, I'm really interested to come and check out Japan. I kind of want to focus on that pretty seriously. And uh, he said, well, timing's good because I'm moving into this team now. So I know your credentials outside of Japan. It's a little bit hard to just come in off the street, but it's good timing. So come and take a seat in the in the 2017 car. Yeah, right. So that's how it started. And then, um, yeah, just went from there. So it was with Audi basically, but private team with a little bit of Toyota connection. Yeah. So let's go all the way back to when you actually started racing with um, go-karts. How yep. was like your introduction to motorsport? Because obviously people now see you. How many followers you got on Instagram, by the way? Uh, ten and a half. Ten and a okay, half. Yeah. There you go. A big ten. audience. Yeah, so, yeah. You got, so you got a big audience. So for them listening here, so you go back 10,000 followers, for example, like where was your, your first starting point? Like in Australia, how did it all yeah. happen? Was it a higher cart? Was it a... It was a bad start. It was a bad start. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so my uncle used to race go-karts and when I watched him, I was like three, four years old at Oakley, yep. the kart, kart track. And in then Victoria. In Victoria, yeah. Because yeah, right. I'm originally from Melbourne actually. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So but moved up when I was like five or six. So prior yeah. to that, three or four, I was watching him race at Oakley. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that looks pretty fun. Like I'd love to do it. I just want to start a race on pole position. That's my goal. And then uh every year I was like waiting, counting down the years, because you have to be seven, right? To start. So then when I turned seven, I was like to my dad, hey, I'm seven. Uh I can meet the license requirement now. So can we go to the go-kart track? So he organized a test day at uh, Wollongong Kart Circuit, driving the Coma, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the old yeah cadet kart. Yeah, apparently that truck that track's pretty dusty now. It's still going. Is it? it? Yeah, but it's not not AK regulated. Oh, basically. okay, falling off a bit, huh? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Just give you an update on the track. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good how to long know. It's been. Yeah. yeah, it has been a minute. That was two thousand and four, I think. Oh no, two thousand and two, maybe. Yeah. So yeah, back to Wollongong. Yeah. Back to Wollongong. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I put the helmet on before I got in the car and I was already like, Oh, I'm a bit out of my depth here. Like started to set in, like I'm going to drive a go-kart and, uh, it's going to be fast. It's going to be loud. I was seven. So I, I got in the cart, drove out and I was like, Oh man, I got to bring this thing back to the pits and get out. It's too scary. Yeah. So I like battled around the first lap and yeah. I got out and I was like, nah, I'm done. Not driving. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so you did, you had that, um, sense that you didn't want to drive back then. Like it was just too overwhelming for you. Too overwhelming. Like I really wanted to do it, but mm. I think I had no like connection to the reality of like how it feels to drive mm. and what it's like having the helmet on, how loud it is, the speed as well. Like a, a cadet engine, it's like, it's not that slow, you know, like the rental carts, you go to like maybe 40 Ks or something, mm. but the cadet carts, like, I don't know, 50, 60 depends on the circuit probably. And I'm like seven driven, nothing. I was like, just shocked basically. Yeah. So, so I pulled in, I couldn't even get in the pit lane actually. Yeah. I drove up to the pit lane and you got like the tires to drive in. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, no, nah, 
I don't know how to make it around this. So I just <laughs> jumped out and went into the pits. I was like, I'm done. Like, did you, did you do like a nervous vomit back then when you were like young? <laughs> did you actually get to no, that point? No, no, I think I was like in a blissful state of like, oh, I'm going to drive a go-kart. Everything's good. And then yeah. I get in, I'm like, oh man, this is what it's like, huh? <laughs> and you, then happened after, yeah. Do you remember your, like, your, your first chassis? What was it? Do you, do you actually have that... Yeah, it was a Mike Wilson cart. Mike Wilson, wow. Have you, have you ever seen yeah, those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they don't, ex- they don't <laughs> exist anymore. They don't, right? Yeah, yeah, I think they barely existed back then. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I never saw another one. Yeah, I turned up to the track. I was like, oh, Mike Wilson, what do we got here? Like Arrow, yeah. Monaco. Where's the Mike Wilsons? Are they not a thing? And I never saw one, so. Yeah, it's like some guy built them in his garage, put them out, and you think, oh, they're going to be everywhere. And they, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so right, wow. That's how it started, yeah. Yeah, and then what what happened after that? So you, you got obviously a bit more confident because you clearly stayed in car racing. Well, yeah, uh, so seven, walked away on day one, yeah. <laughs> gathered myself up. I still had as much desire to do it, yeah. but I think, like, I finally got a bit of a insight, a bit of a reality check on what it's like. So joining that into my desire, I was like, does this match? Like, does do I want to be, like, doing this, you know, Mm. as like as seriously as I think I want to be doing it. Yeah. And then when I was eight, I, I reconsidered it and I was like, oh, I'm going to go back. I just need to think when's the right time. And then when I turned nine, I was like, okay, I'm going to make a comeback now. Let's try again. Yeah. So then that's so when wait, I went, You waited two years. Waited two, it took me two years to recover from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two years to recover, to get to, back in a go To build up the confidence, I think, to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I can handle it now. Yeah. So then I went to Easton Creek and met Troy Hunt. So yeah, that's yeah. where it started. Yeah, right. And then you got coaching through Troy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then that did that just, was that kind of after school and then just took off and then started cart test days at the creek and then went from there? Um, I think I did the first day there and it was just like something that he organized privately as like a come and try type of thing. Mm. And uh, I did like five laps and I wanted to keep going. And then they're like, you got to come in because your window was 10 minutes or something mm. to try. And, uh, I did the whole 10 minutes came in and I was like, I love it. So I'm ready to like take it seriously. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then it was like every weekend or not every weekend, but you know, every North shore cart club day, club day. Yeah. Yeah. And then you went and, t- and back then I, I, I was actually one of Troy's first, not first customer. I think it was his third or fourth. So he had, okay, yeah, he had, yeah. He had, uh, Antunes, Ella Jarjan, myself. And then after that, it took off. But he was, yep. you were basically though, it was you invented. That That was kind of like the start of where we see our K team and mm-hmm. cutting straight team is now. Mm. So have you spoken to him recently about all that stuff or? Oh, no, he, he's, I, I've been in touch with him now and then over the years. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's been, I guess, tricky in general to be in touch after not having lived here for like eight years now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I message him now and then. Yeah. Um, Didn't he go over to Singapore with you or something? No, he went over to Malaysia with me. That's it. Yeah, that was for the Formula BMW stuff. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So back back then, back to Venter and back to those days. Yeah. Yeah. So then, yeah, I started karting with Troy basically, Mm. Um, and we just focused on doing. uh, I think I had one season of cadets at the time uh, because I was nine. I think the cutoff was ten. So did a season North Shore car club championship basically and uh still my goal was i just want to start first for a race and then uh you know like back then on the like uh like club days you get like a random draw right for the two heats yeah yeah you know first race they put me on pole position off the p plates of course yeah, you gotta do yeah. the p plates and uh, i started to freak out i was like oh man because back then i don't know if you remember the grids for like cadets was like 30 carts it was huge yeah. i was actually saying to um someone yesterday when i was racing myself that 
Yeah, like back when we were racing carts, you, there was an A and a B class sometimes. And to, even C. To, yeah. Yeah. To actually get into the to the final. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's insane it's crazy. how much it's changed though. Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. So yeah, I think at my, my first race, cause it was like a few race races on P plates. I think, uh, that was even like a C class or something mm -hmm. then. Yeah. Yeah. And then B class, I was off the P plates and then they put me on pole for the first race just by chance. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And then I was like, Oh man, like not yet. You know, like I just, <laughs> I'm just getting off the P plates and, uh, I was pretty nervous, started the race and then down the main straight, get hit in the back. Yeah. There's a car like on my head, like, you know, how you yeah, can ride the yeah, wheel, yeah, yeah. rode the, someone rode my wheel and then I'm off on the first corner basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's Venter on my head. <laughs> I didn't know him yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, then his dad came over lifted him off me and then got going, but yeah, some sketchy starts to the first few races. Yeah. Did you actually notice when your first time, like obviously going from like a novice, you know, Carter when you were your kid to when like, like a driver coach came on board. Cause we've had Tom Williamson on here and mm -hmm. did you actually notice that, that direction change in a way? Um, I so think when you got like, even in cars, do you know what I mean? Like, do you mm. notice when you, when your driving style changes? I think fortunately for me, it was racing with Troy from the start. I kind of had that driver coach aspect in there from day one. So I think my like early days, I was kind of adapting to his style. Mm. And I felt like by the end of my time in karting, I kind of drove his style. Cause like just the way we communicated about like the feeling, the setup, how to kind of, you know, handle like, um, oversteer or any, any slides and stuff like that. It's like, we're speaking the same language. Mm. So I think I'd really like adopted and adapted to his training over the years. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go and race different things and then people have a little bit of a different style. And then that was after that was kind of my first time to experience like drivers with different styles. Cause I think I just, I was taught this one way. That's all I knew. And, uh, it's still like my core, I guess, for my driving but there's more styles out there, which I came across later. Mm. We actually get, I actually was going to say this a while ago, but so you grew up actually in Melbourne. So do you, how, when did you actually leave Melbourne? Like how old were you then? Six or seven? Uh, I was, I was four or five. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Five, I think. So you don't really remember much of Melbourne. Really? Not really. Yeah. No. Just small bits yeah. and pieces. But yeah. You, you grew up in, basically you grew up in the Northern beaches, didn't you? Yep. Yep. How so was, how was that? Yeah, good. I mean, uh, I feel like I'm a Sydney guy just because I don't remember Melbourne, so yeah. it feels like my hometown. Um, and it was good. I just remember it's really far to get to the tracks all the time. It's like the yeah. closest one was Eastern Creek. Yeah, Butterfly Farms like an hour and a half. Newcastle was what was it? Two hours. Two, two hours. Yeah. yeah. Lithgow three hours. So I was like, man, these weekends are like, you know, road trips basically. <laughs> yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, the Northern Beaches is like that weird, like you said, you've got to go always around everything to get out of here. It's like yeah. funny, it's quicker I speak to other people to go from the city to the Central Coast sometimes than it is to here with the way that the highways go and everything because we kind of loop inland that little bit more. Mm. Yeah. Where yeah. did you grow up on the Northern Beaches? I grew up in Balgala, Balgala okay, Heights. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So just nice a little area. bit further down from here. Yeah. Yeah, just really like like small, local, quiet street type of area. Went to local public school there, so. Would have been so different to what it is now. Different to Tokyo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. oh, yes. That, remember, that was a shock for me when you go there and the amount of people and the buildings and everything. Yeah. It's like this, it's a massive culture shock. What was mm. it like for you when you first landed? Well, I'd actually been to Japan before just a couple of times. Yep. So I, I had an idea of what it was like and yep. it was always like an overwhelm when I went there. You just walked into like Shibuya. There's like lights, people, sounds everywhere. 
no space to walk properly. And uh, I was like, damn, I love this. This is, this is so cool. So yeah. I, I knew what to expect before I got there. Yeah. So you got attached to, when did you go to Japan the first time? Um, I went just after high school. So I grad- graduated 2020, uh, 2013. Mm. Yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah. And uh, then 2014, January, uh, I went there for the first time. So we had a few like international students come to our school who were Japanese. Yeah. So I, I was kind of friends with them and uh, they went back after high school. So an- another friend of mine and I were like, oh, let's go see them, you know, like post-school trip type of thing. And uh, that's the first time I went to the auto salon. The first time I saw what Super GT was, what Super Formula was. And I thought I was going just to have like a, like a, almost like a schoolies basically, you know? Yeah. And then at I went salon. there. Yeah, at auto salon. Yeah. yeah. And then I went there. I was like, what is this world? Like there's heaps going on here in the racing scene. So it just opened my eyes and changed my goals completely after that. Because was Brooks- auto salon in? Sorry, was auto salon in Australia when you went over? Well, did we still have it back then? That's I, think, what I was going to ask. I don't think we had it then. I did don't we? think so. We'd I'd never it. heard of it actually until oh, then. Oh, okay. So we mustn't have because for anyone who's, I guess, maybe late thirties, forties, like us, is more. We had it growing up. It was here. I remember going as a teenager and maybe just before my because I went to Japan when I was twenty, mm-hmm. and then it was when I was in Japan they had it. This was two thousand and eight, mm. and I was super excited to see theirs. But their level of what they do in production for their auto salon is next level compared to here. And mm. as I mentioned earlier, they had a. I can't even remember what car it was, but they had a car, the whole livery was diamonds. Like that's yep. their idea of a livery was like for a big auto salon show when, you know, go big or go home. And I was always just impressed with their level. But yeah. you're a part of it now, the auto salon that's over there, aren't you? Yeah. So I've been a part of it a few different ways. And I think, was that a diamond car Mercedes? I think so. Yeah. Because I do, if I went back, I'd have to find old hard drives we're talking about. I'd have to dust off. I have pictures yeah. that I took because this was back just before we had like smartphones where you could take all the photos. So this was all taken on cameras where you had SD cards and I remember having them in there. But yeah, I remember being there and taking photos of this thing. Yeah. 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 I think it was still there because I saw the diamond car in 2014. Oh, Two wow. Mercedes yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah you right. want to keep that around for a few years because that's a lot of work. That's an expensive <laughs> job, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you gotta you gotta go on about um Shogun Automotive. Obviously, yeah, yeah. That's your is that your current company now? Like, or is that a business? Uh, yeah, it's it's like my new project basically. And I'll circle it into your question about the auto salon. So I've yep. been there for two reasons. One was for Shogun. The other reason was for Honda. So when I joined Honda in 2020, uh, it was part of Modulo, which is a uh, like parts maker. It's like a Honda owned, like Mugen basically. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so they had their booth there and then um, got announced there and was kind of just there helping out with them and being on display. Type yeah. Of thing. Yeah. Yep. So 2020 and then uh, 2023, the start yep. of this year, uh, I opened up a shop uh, at the start of last year mm. and uh, we made some partners. One of them was G Technic, which is like a coding brand. Yep. And so they also have a booth in Auto Salon. So uh, my team in 2023 wasn't in Auto Salon, but G-Technic was. Yeah. So we got like a small like plaque and part of their booth as well. So that's the product side of Auto Salon. Yeah, all right. What made you go like get interested in doing that? Because is it if you've got a business part with business mm-hmm. partner with you? Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen them videos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it kind of started after Honda, basically. So um, things were, were were great 
there, but obviously COVID came through and then knocked Honda around a fair bit, mm. uh, cut their budget out. They lost some teams. They cut some drivers and uh, my team also disappeared. Yeah. So I went back to running private teams and I just thought like I put four years into building up to that spot and it kind of just got knocked away for no real reason other than just financial. And it's just a bit unstable, you know, to base uh, my whole like stability in Japan off off of that. Now, obviously, I found a great team next year and the year after that, not in Super GT, but in Super Taiku. Mm. But What's I just Super Taiku. Super Taiku, it's like an endurance GT series. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So kind of like our Australian GT Championship. Um, Is that what you were kind of circ- like looking at? At, at supercars the other week like was that what you're trying uh, to get a that was of? gt world challenge so yeah. that's still like sprint sprint racing yeah yeah but uh super taiku it's actually endurance so we have like a 24-hour race an eight-hour race so like our 12-hour and six hour like a, se- yeah. a series built around that yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah. maybe yeah like like something like that yeah. yeah okay and uh yeah i was just like it's pretty stressful you know like mm. being over there for so many years and having ups and downs and stuff and some of it's in your control but some of it's not so i thought while i have built all these connections up in Japan. Like I'd networked a fair bit through racing. I knew a few of the brands as well. Cause one thing in Japan is a lot of the teams that are running there are actually like the parts makers, like endless, they make brakes or Modulo, which was my Honda team. So I was like, damn, I have quite a few uh, like brands con- connections now. So I thought, why not just like build a shop around that, start to build up something on the side where I can just plug in my racing contacts and then create like an additional level of stability in what I'm doing out here. And then that's how it started basically. Bart was basically telling us yesterday that like every team is like to a T like perfect, like an F1 team, like the way that they set up their gear. Like you don't even know that someone has less money than the other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like even the rear, even the rear guys, like, you know, the guy in last place looks the exact same in the pits as, you know, the guy leading the championship or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's very, Mm. The way everything in, in Japan's done is very clean and efficient and yeah. you know, man, straight 180, perfect to a T. You know, yep. there's not a grain of dust anywhere on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you do feel like it's none of it feels like it's done out of the back of the truck type of yeah, type that's of thing. What I was yeah. At. yeah. And generally, because it's a lot of that's because the shops are involved, like the brands are involved. So they can't have an image of like, we've just thrown everything out of the truck. It's on the ground and we'll just put it on the car when we need it. It's a little bit of a presentation for them too on like, how we operate. This is how, you know, tidy and, and serious we take our racing. So our product's going to be like that too. So that's kind of why, but uh, I, I would say there's still like a decent amount of variation because some teams are manufacturer, some teams are private and then super Taiku, it's got like 60 cars in it. So you've got even teams, which is just full am set up with people who they're running in like some of the lower classes, like the, the Honda jazz and stuff as well. So you've got like that, level and then you've also got like d station which is my team which run in WEC and stuff so there's a there is a, a fair bit of a gap sometimes but it's nice to see that your average team is pretty like tidy pretty structured mm. yeah i did my first night race last night and you've obviously mm-hmm. done a lot of gt you know yeah a lot of stuff since we've raced car, cars in formula ford right um so how have like you how did you get in, into that mindset of just you know a certain like when did you hop in or how does that all work from you know from an outsider's point of view to in the pits you know what I mean like like ha- how do I switch into and, the mindset yeah you know? like the mindset and mm. you've got a, you've, you've got a driver coach don't you as well Dave Diggle who's, who's yeah uh so funny thing about Dave is he's he's actually not a driver yeah yeah he's he's a performance psychologist so his background is basically uh the science of performance the science of focus and uh he's got like a neuroscience background and a psychology background 
and it's just tailored around like how to get the most out of yourself, how to be more consistent. Um, I'm sure you have days, right. And even maybe it was like last night too, it's like feeling tired or some days you just feel off. I remember like back in the day for me, some days I'd feel like I'm on it and I'd drive really well. And then the next day I'd turn up like, Oh, I'm a bit like, I'm just not feeling as on it today. Just working out how to be on it all the time. And that and kind of thing. I there. definitely felt like that the, the other two nights, <laughs> uh, Friday, which was my off day. And then, you know, Saturday, which was my good day, but yeah. yeah. So go on, go on with Dave. So, yeah. So I kind of had this habit actually back in go-karting, whereas basically I just end up binning it in the pre-final mm. and then I have to come from the back and then drive like my best race ever. Yeah. And I think it's cause I'd mentally taken all the pressure off and not that I was crashing on purpose in pre-finals. I think I was trying too hard basically. And, and, uh, and then, yeah. And I kind of just found out like how I can operate like that all the time. Like the way I drive the final, I want to drive practice and, you know, the heats and all that as well, the same way. So I was just learning how to do that basically. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Brooke, you got anything? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think. It's a bit uncharted territory, I think, in yeah, a lot of sports. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, because Brooke's done jujitsu and like long distance swimming and stuff like that. Mm. That's why I said to you, Brooke, like. Yeah, I know. I, I th- yeah, the, the, I've had sports psychology as well with the swimming, like you said, the long distance stuff and having mm. to think through all of, through, through all of that. Um and I think, yeah, how long, so with your, what's the longest race you've done? You mentioned there's 24 hours in that in mm. Japan. What's the longest you've had to go? Uh, it's been 24 hours. You have I've done, done, done a few hours? of those. Yeah. Yeah. And then how have you, in terms of your preparation, there's the mental side you've talked about. Do you mm. do any other sort of training? Cause I did see online in your profile that you're a black belt in Taekwondo. Oh yeah. That was on there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and you could, well, I yeah. think you've scored yourself lowly in, low in, lowly, low in karaoke. Um, three how out do you of know? 10. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was like to Dan, I think he's been harsh on himself. I bet you he's like a nine out of 10. He's lying to us all. Trust me. You don't want to see it. <laughs> That was an impressive driver profile, by the way. Oh I was, yeah, I was like, I was like, I was actually entertained by your website. It was, I was great. like, yeah, it was great. Oh, it was really well set up and everything. It was no, it was entertaining, like you said, to read. But do you use Taekwondo and that to train for it, or is there other sports you're doing, or gym, mm. or how do you prepare for the twelve hour? Yeah, Taekwondo was something I did. Yeah, so, something I did back sort of in the karting days as just like another like I don't know. I think it's the same as racing. You kind of just have like a goal. I wanted to get to black belt, and then you just like keep improving yourself to try and get there. And I think I could bring some of that across because one thing that I learned through the process of that was like the structure, you know, like there's like forms, right. For Taekwondo and you have like a pattern. So you have to use, you have to do like a pattern to graduate to the next level. And, uh, I think racing, it's a little bit less structured, but being able to bring some of that structure in just on like a debrief process, this is stuff I learned from Dave as well. It really fit together. Well, yeah. Uh, just enabled me to, improve that consistency basically. And I think it's become like a strong point for me as a driver now, just consistency in general. Uh, but back in the day, it wasn't really a strong point for me. I was kind of like the guy that would turn up and be quick one day and then, you know, struggle to replicate it basically. So yeah, I think that's come across pretty nicely. Have you also learned anything from your teammates, like the Japanese teammates over there? Do they have anything that they would do differently? Maybe you've seen how they prepare or how even on a race, long race weekend Mm. that we might not be doing here. Have you seen any things that, yeah, because I know differently, Mm. every culture has a different way of looking at things and doing it. But Mm. have you found anything that you're like, yeah, that's really helped me over there? Um, I would say it's kind of similar. I can't really think of something that stands out okay, different yeah. on there. I think like Super GT is quite international. Yeah. So it's kind of that baseline is kind of there in America, probably here in GT yep. World Challenge as well. Yeah. Yeah, right. 
Cool. Now, I found this interesting fact, which I take, spoke to you off offline about oh, yeah? out of the studio here, but um, did you win the WA State Championship in Formula V? No. Yeah, can, you, can you tell us those experiences? This, is, uh, <laughs> this was like a free stat that I yeah. got on the database. So I actually emailed the guys because I saw it too. So it says, I think it's 2011. Yeah, you won in tw- apparently you won in 2011 in the WA State Championships. Apparently, yeah, WA had, opposite side of the country. I literally wrote on here... I had no idea that you won that. <laughs> I didn't know either, yeah. So I think it was like uh, 2015 or something, I saw the database and I was yeah. like, oh, wow, they have like, you know, driver's stats on here. So I checked it out and I was like, oh, WA 2011 yeah. Formula V champion. I was like, I didn't do that. So I don't know how it got like grouped in there. Yeah. And it's a very random state as well. Yeah. yeah. Literally <laughs> the furthest away that I could have been. This yeah. some poor Jake passes in WA going, Just got his title robbed yeah, basically. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I actually emailed the database because they didn't count my former BMW championship. Yeah, so right. I was like, hey, um, my former BMW title wasn't counted and actually this one was counted. So I thought like, you know, not some guy saying just give me a title type yeah. of thing. Like I'm trading a fake one for a real one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't get a reply, so I thought, oh, it just is what it is then. I'll keep it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Before before we get into your Formula Ford stuff, so we did CRK Stars of Karting together. Yeah. What did you think of that era of karting? Because now it's also now merged in with the Australian Karting Championships. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like it, it was like a – I guess they were trying to get karting back then mainstream in a way, like right, with yeah. Castrol Edge and – you know, I mean, you were racing mm. Joey back then, which a lot of people don't know that, you know, now that you're in Japan, but you've actually raced like, you know, top tier drivers. Yeah. Well, Joey and I were teammates for the world championships in 2012, which was kind of like my last season of karts. And then I think the stars of karting I did in 2010 and 2011, mm. maybe. And it was pretty cool. I mean, like going from regular, like, you know, club racing or state titles, you went there to an event that was like just for you guys. So it kind of felt like, it felt like he'd gone away on like a supercars or an F1 weekend basically. Cause as you said, Castrol's there yeah. and there's a whole bunch of media stuff, which is usually not there. Yeah. So the atmosphere was very different. And I think that was pretty cool to be part of that. You actually got to tell me and the, the, you know, the fans about like the under 18 world championship. Where, what, mm-hmm. what, what country was that in? It was a three round championship. Yep. So first round was in, um, Portugal. Yep. And, uh, there was like 88 entries and then the final can only house like, 33 or 34 carts. So most drivers end up not making the final. And then uh, I raced with Top Cut with Joey and one other guy. Yep. It was an Italian that had raced with Top Cut in Italy. And so, yeah, uh, first round Portugal, second round France, third round Dubai. And then uh, Portugal, uh, Joey and I both qualified for it. I lost a chain in the final. I can't remember where Joey placed, but we both made it through. But no, no like standout top 10 or anything like that. Um, and then for France, uh, I was pretty on it that weekend. I think I came top 10 and I remember chatting with Joey after, cause like we were basically next to each other through the race. Yeah. And I think he was only one or two carts behind and said, Oh, we had exactly the same like uh, situation unfold. We were quick at the start. Then it went off at the end. Then it kind of came back a bit. And he said, yeah, I was just watching. Like it was exactly like that for me as well. So, um, so that was that one. And then the final race was in uh, Dubai Joey actually won the race, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I ended up DNFing the pre-final. Yeah. And then uh, I started from the back uh, with Anthony Hubert. You remember the yeah, F2 Antoine driver? Yeah, Hubert. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow, you raced with him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we were off the back together and we were like, I think like we can work together to get to the front. So we were having a chat and then 
shaking each other's hands. It was a little bit of a funny story. Shaking each other's hands, let's work together and get to the front. Super nice guy. I had never spoken to him before that. We just kind of, we were a bit of, you know, rivals from through the year. Mm. So we chatted together. It's like the last race. Let's kind of work together and just get these guys cleared and go back to the front. And so uh, super friendly dude, very positive interaction, went into the race. And the first few corners in Dubai, it's like, basically it's just flat. It's like a sweeping right, left, right. And when you're on your own lap, it's basically just flat. But uh, in a group at the start, you've got like two lanes or maybe even three lanes of traffic. And it's chaos at the start, like starting from the rear in, in this race. And I'm getting hit from the back and Anthony's on my side. And then both of us dive to the inside for the hairpin. And I'm getting hit up the back, basically way past the breaking point. Yeah. And I go into the back of him and then he goes flying off it oh, through no. past the apex. I'm like, <laughs> oh man, my, my teammate's gone, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he probably thinks it was me. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I came through from 30 fourth to like 14th or something like that so it was a nice recovery and the last few laps i was just watching the scoreboard because i saw joey and leclerc battling for p1 yeah. who was in that who was in that 18 under world teams board championship uh, russell george russell george russell yeah charles leclerc Anthony hubert um was max around then no nah he wasn't i don't know what he was doing but he wasn't there yeah. at that one um that's all i can remember yeah, yeah. okay well wow. so what years was this 2012. 2012, okay, yep. How old were you back then? 17. 17, okay, yep, yep. Yeah. And you'll literally try, so after that, your goal was basically to go into Formula Cars, wasn't it? Yeah, my goal had been IndyCar basically the whole time. Yeah. That's why I was like heading towards the States. But kind of like on the way there, I saw Japan Mm. through just personal experience and then realized what's available. So then that's where I kind of adjusted my trajectory. Why did, oh, sorry. When you were, when you were a kid though, did you have like IndyCar posters on your wall and yeah, was that yeah. your goal? Did you ever see there was a game IndyCar 2005 yes. for Xbox? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have like a thousand hours, I swear, on that. <laughs> just going in circles, you know, <laughs> Was there a reason you never wanted to go to Europe? Like where were Leclerc and everyone were headed for? Um, I think, it, to be honest, it could have been influenced by the game as yeah, well. okay. Just the fact that it was like so tangible. It was like, I know what, you know, all, I know who all the drivers are. I'm yep. watching and, and following along. And then uh, Troy's... Old teammate, old friend was Ryan Briscoe. Yeah. Who was in IndyCar at the time. And I went over and met him one time and it just seemed like a reality of like, this is possibly an option to go down. And the scholarship thing looked like that's the way to do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Would you ever, do you still now to this day rate um, Indy over F1? Um, F1 just got a sort of cool factor about it where you can see like, you know, Ferrari versus. You know, Red Mercedes, yeah. Red Bull, yeah. you've got really top drivers in there. That's always cool. I think the fact that it's a bit sort of like segmented in the teams, IndyCar's better on that front because you don't yeah. know who's going to win on the yeah. weekend. So we were watching that literally before you got here. Like, IndyCar, oh, yeah. it's just, it's so, it's so close and random. Like, that's why mm. I like, in, I like personally, I'm like you. I like, I always wanted to be a NASCAR driver when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. Like you, you played the IndyCar 2005 game. I played the NASCAR Total Team Control uh, game. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I've always liked NASCAR since then and then Ambrose influenced, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah, 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 that's cool. So for like you and myself, I guess the American Americanized type of racing series is, mm. is what made you go. But you actually got the chance to, you know, meet Ryan Briscoe and go over there. But mm-hmm. back mm. to your Formula Ford stuff. So you mm. were teammates with Caitlin Wood who did Formula W Series. Who else were your teammates yep. around with? Um uh oh yeah i haven't thought this far back for a while trent grubel was another yep trent yep. grubel caitlin woods and myself that was 2013 and 14 mm. formula ford and uh, at the end of 2013 
we had uh, Matt Campbell, who's yeah, now okay. racing in the Porsche uh, hypercar. Mm. Um, and there's one more. I can't remember the name, yeah. but yeah. He, <laughs> All he was in pretty Synergy cool. Motorsport at in the time. In Synergy, that's yeah. it, yeah. And how did you, you find – you didn't do any Kent stuff, did you? No, no Ken nah. racing, straight into Juratech. No Formula V, no, no Ken. No. <laughs> straight, straight into Juratech. How did yeah. you find, obviously, going from karts to a Juratech Formula Ford, though? Uh, pretty right natural, through. to be honest, because, like, it's it kind of operates more like a kart than the other stuff I drove later. Mm. It's just all down to basically the only thing I had to adjust to was the suspension because you got another axis of movement yeah. under braking and all that. So um, outside of that, it was pretty much the same technique and the same feel for me as how it felt. Yeah. So yeah, I think the adjustment took about sort of six months to kind of feel like, okay, I'm comfortable. And then another six months to feel like I'm quick. And that was basically 2013, 14 period. Yeah. And you actually did race in a Kent race. Oh, I did. (laughs) (laughs) When you came out with that, I was like, I hope you know what you're talking about. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. That was my last race in Formula 4. I know. You did bloody well, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Then you definitely know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That was, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun because you're a Bathurst and you, didn't you win the first race? Won the first race, got the lap record, second race. I got taken out yeah. from yeah, yeah. Know, from the second corner. So. But you, but you, so in the state championships, where did you rank back then? Did you finish second or first or third? Um, or do you even- state championship, I in, in 2013, so my first yeah. season, I was a rookie champion and then second overall Yeah, in that. And then 2014, I didn't do a full season because I started racing over in Asia at that point as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I did national series, uh, yeah, national series, I think they called it. Mm. I think like maybe third in the first rate, f- first round in, uh, where was that? I can't remember. <laughs> so long, long ago, Queensland Sand. Raceway or Queens- something. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah. And then I started to sort of do a few things that year. So mm. less focus on. So you, so you kind of went from, you know, non slicks and just, and then two slicks and wings. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you went from the, just, so you just basically wanted to use formula Ford as like a grounding thing to move to the IndyCar ranks basically. Yeah. I guess. Cause like I was still living, I was finishing high school at the time. Mm. And it was the best thing I could do locally to prepare myself. Yeah. Did you ever think of doing like the Americanized version of Formula Ford? I think they've got their F1600, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually tested it in Australia, yeah. kind of. So basically they have a few small differences. And one of the main ones is the tire. They run slick tires. Yeah. So I did my first Formula Ford drive actually with Borland Racing, who's from Victoria. Yeah. And then uh, they, in preparation for me going to the States, uh, I was actually going there for a test. This is before 2016. Um, they set up one as like an F1600 because I did an F1600 test with Cape Motorsport uh, later on in 2013 or 14. So yeah, and you and then where did you live anywhere in America at the time? Like when you went over to America and or did uh, you come or did you go back and forth from Australia? I just flew into test and flew okay. back. Yeah. yeah, right. So I only lived in the states one year, which was 2016. Yeah, in uh, yeah. Road to Indy. And you were basically, I think, for memory, with Junkos Racing before they went to IndyCar themselves. Which That's is now, it. Now they're, now they're a big team. Pretty serious. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, that team started off as a go kart team. Did it? Yeah. So I did the, not know that. It's crazy. The boss. Uh, Mr. Junkos, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ricky is his name. Started a go-kart team, came from Argentina, went to the States for like the American dream, mm. built his go-kart team, progressed it up basically through the road to Indy, but on the team side of things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then went to IndyCar. 
Yeah, right. What drew you to that team though over like, you know, an Andretti or a, you know, um, I think there's Paps Racing or, mm. do you know what I mean? Like I think Paps Racing is the owner of the Paps Beer. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know So that. Hunter McElray, who went over there to do his racing, mm. went and raced for Paps Racing. I just obviously do my research. And yeah. He raced for a – he racing, basically was racing for a beer company. Wow, okay. Yeah. So That's Jun- going to be a good party after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Junkos was just a well, go-kart team straight and trying to find their way – trying to find their feet basically in the IndyCar ranks. Yeah, yeah. But they'd actually been doing really well like through their, through their steps up. So they won 2015's Indy Light Championship. And I went at the end of 2015 to go and look at teams and have a few meetings. And uh, they just won the Indy Lights Championship. They looked very capable. And then I tested with two teams. One was Pelfrey, which was the uh, yellow yellow yeah, team. Yeah, the yellow team, yep, yep. And then I tested with Junkos, mm. both of them. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of a mystery that year because really only Pelfrey cars won any races that year. It was a really big gap. To It was like, you know, the Red Bull type of domination. Yeah, okay. So it was a bit of a head-scratcher as to what was the reason for that, you know, like they just had a sweet setup. Um, hard, hard to know. Mm. And uh, play with the engines, you don't know. I'm not going to say that, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I can, it's my yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah, never know. So um, yeah, it was, a, it was a tough year from that standpoint. They were just so quick, you know. Yeah. Um, some drivers like uh, Nico Jarman from France and stuff racing with Cape that year. Couldn't really touch them either. So um, yeah, so basically... That was kind of my my timing to go to Japan after. I was like, okay, good start with things here, but time to go and what, pivot. What was the fan base like though at, at that level in America? <clears throat> to be, mm. Like, and they, like obviously we'll talk about Japan later, but like, yeah. what was it like? You know, you see here in in supercar land, you know, they've got their fans, and they're not really like I wouldn't say they're very over dramatic. Where like you know you mm-hmm. go to like another like you know Brooke and I were watching IndyCar this morning again. Yeah, and they're very like really into it and very Hardcore, like, right? yeah, like yeah. passionate. Was they, were they passionate at that indie light level though when you're in America or not really? Surprisingly they were. And I think a lot of that was because the series actually tries to promote it. They're like, you know, road to Indy is the supporting categories for IndyCar. And uh, they had like fan events that they made like autograph sessions for the drivers. So they kind of uh, helped boost that, that side of things, but the fans were pretty down for it. They would come to the autograph sessions and, every team would have like a set of cards. So you'd sign it for them and you'd normally give them all out by the end. So hero cards, hero cards. Yeah, yeah. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so they have sold out crowds there. Was it like packed? Thanks crowds? to IndyCar. Yeah. Yeah. Sold okay. Out. Yeah. 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 So not every round was with IndyCar, but yeah. when it was with IndyCar, it was like next level of atmosphere and fan turnout. Yeah. yeah. You did the skip barber racing school, didn't you? Yeah. I did like one training Okay. event there basically and then uh i'm glad i got that right on my notes yeah <laughs> man, you did your research <laughs> and then i did uh yeah basically i just did a, a quick stint there for for training basically yeah. and i met colton herder there really yeah. yeah okay so uh he was also doing it and then he came over and raced in the formula bmw championship for one round as well and we had great battles in that really um yeah in the second round yeah okay so it's been a while since i spoke with him but moving back to the states kind of reconnect a bit and then fall, fall off again in Japan. You got to tell me about your Formula BMW stuff because that was where like they actually, Meritus <clears throat> GP did again promote, mm. was it in China? Was it, was it, or Singapore? Um, was that where they based themselves or? They had their own championship, which was the Formula BMW one and that's in Sepang, so Malaysia. Mm. Yeah. And then they're also part of a Formula Masters championship where they're just a team entering. Yeah. And that was, yeah, China, Korea, 
uh, Malaysia, big mix of Asia. Mm. I think Aiden, an ex go karter as well, was helping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his name? Oh, he was a, he was a driver in it just this season before me. Yeah, and then he helped Pete run the whole thing, didn't he? Um, he, I'm not, not sure if that was the case. It, I could be wrong, but, uh, I was running with them in 2014 and I think he ran 2013 and then yeah. moved on to some stuff with Audi after that. Yeah. Right. So how'd you find the formula BMW stuff? Cause that was, was that very competitive being in literally equal equipment? It was the best to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Because like, I mean, a nice thing about that category is be, because everything's open, right? You can only change like anti-roll bar wing, a few small things, uh, open data, open video. So for training for like a development series, that's like best case scenario, I think, because you can go in there and then there's no reason why you can't improve and beat other people, right? It's just down to how well you can learn and how well you can adapt it into the driving because the best, like say in the States, right? I have no idea why Pelfrey was so quick that year. Yeah. I could look at the data and say, oh, it's set up. I got to improve it or it's maybe it's driving. Wouldn't know. But for Formula BMW, it's like everything's open. So yeah, right. great learning. So, so you basically had an open book to it. Between all the drivers. All drivers, yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. So you don't, yeah. Is that something said. that frustrated you? I was going to say with the US, is that what sort of made you sort of go, I want to go and try over in Asia and try the differences because they were being closed off with their data and the way that it was? Uh, I think it was just the fact that it was a series run team. Yeah. So the series ran every car in Formula BMW. Yeah. And part of their like their merit, their advertisement point is that, oh, it's open data. You're going to learn a yeah. lot here. And then going back to like regular championships, it's just closed off between the teams. So yeah, okay. you get benefit of having more cars in your team mm-hmm. as long as they're, you know, enough staff to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more like that, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then you've done, so the open, was the open wheel rank two super formula at the time or was it, it was Japanese F3, wasn't it next? Or mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You've um, done so much like the, the, <laughs> to try and like see where you're at on the internet was really hard to right. get. Right. And Japan's a bit of a black hole. Like I yeah, went over there and just kind of disappeared off the like motorsport.com or speed cafe. Yeah. Just cause it doesn't get reported on much over there. It is true when you're over there. I think of all the different stuff when I was over there, I'd have to tell people back home what was happening. It's mm. not like in saying that for people listening who haven't been there, it's not, it's different to China who will, you know how they've got blocks on their Google and so forth mm. not to get out. It's not to hide anything. It's just that it's in Japanese. So people, if you don't speak it or read it or know it, you can't translate it. So I think there's just not as many people translating between here and there depending mm. on what's being reported. So, yeah. Mm. So you exactly, went to Japanese yeah. F3 next? or Yeah. So basically I, I ran that season with Tyson, uh, Saad and Tyson. So it was a collaboration team in GT300 with Audi. I was on the Saad side. The other driver of my team, it was on the Tyson side. That team split at the end of the year and uh, the Tyson stuff carried on. But I went over with uh, Hideki Noda into Formula 3 because he ran a team. And I was like, oh, man, like came here with a pretty like nice option for the start of things. But I don't know what to do now. And uh, he basically said, I, I have like a, an F3 team. Um, we can get sponsorship from the series. So sponsorship actually from the series, from to the help, series. Yeah. Really to help you say so that wouldn't happen here. Yeah. Right. Or in America even. <laughs> I don't think, Oh no, America would, I think. Oh, well, scholarships yeah, and stuff. Scholarships, yeah, yeah. Promotion side of things. And then, yeah, he was like, you know, we can do like team sponsorship and series sponsorship and give you another year to like find your way basically. So, um, it wasn't actually like the, the there's two classes in F3 in Japan. There's like the FIA spec, uh, at the time it's, it's, you know, the old F3. So it's like the international spec Yep. and then there's like the domestic spec. And, uh, I was running in the domestic spec just because budget basically mm. was, you know, s- sponsored and, and, uh, 
I just wanted to stay in Japan. So I just carried on with that way. And I thought it was the right move to just keep honing my skills a little bit and then look for the right springboard to go into start chasing down the manufacturers. Yeah, right. So did that season and then after that went to um, Super Taikyu, the endurance series. Yep. And just from networking, I found like a gentleman driver who was from France, came over here, he'd been racing and uh, yeah, got hired the next season from that and then into Honda and went pretty well. So it was an important year, even though I didn't realize it at the time. Mm. You were telling us about like you were, you were helping us, Brooke and I learn outside obviously about, you know, the way that their characters and their drivers happen to be like you said, I think one of them was related to Peter Brock or you said mm-hmm. like transition. Mm-hmm. You have, I think you got like five guys over there that come to World Time Attack. Yeah. That like they're just predominant figures. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So can you explain, you know, obviously relating to the Australian audience, what, you know, those guys are to that, to the Japanese culture, back to the Australian culture and why they come right. to World Time Attack? Yeah. So, so actually the World Time Attack, it's only something I'm recently getting my head around. Mm. So um, are we, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting big, right? That, yeah, that I whole know. series. I think, yeah, especially it was building, like, we, like Dan yeah. explained them, there was COVID, and I think everything got a bit. I actually mm, interviewed yeah. Ian Baker or had Oh, had a yeah, chat nice. To him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's a very busy man, and I can see why. I think it's said to be a big year this year. Yeah. Hearing yeah. Now it's slowly ramping again. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was just in Japan a few months ago talking to teams, trying to organize a few things in, in preparation. So, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, so. For the, for the Japanese drivers, I guess like the big three, you could say it's uh, DK, so Tsuchiya, uh, Maxarito, and then uh, Taniguchi. And uh, these guys have like a drifting street racing background back in like the 90s where, where it's like a subculture basically. And it's like, you know, the initial D, mm. the, that anime, it's like that kind of lifestyle. And then they bridge that into like professional drifting from professional drifting into professional racing with time attack and stuff like that. So they were kind of like the figureheads, I guess, for the culture and for that that um, that shift from Japan becoming even more professional, I guess, more international. Yeah. So now they're coming over for Time Attack and, and stuff like that. But uh, Max Arita is my teammate right now. Um, we had a bit of uh, beef at the start before I joined his team. We had a crash in Super GT. Yeah, right. And uh, we smoothed <laughs> it out and then ended up becoming teammates. So it's all good now. But, yeah. You said, you said is it Max that's the one that's done a NASCAR race? or Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. And he's 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 got like an American vibe to him, does he? Yeah, got, he does. Because like the American culture. He does, yeah. He, he's like the, the cowboy, I guess, so of the Japanese guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he just loves it. He's, he's got a shop called uh, 130R Yokohama. Yep. That's like his tuning shop. And uh, he's got cowboy hats in there and things like that. He really embraces the whole American culture, I think, from his NASCAR days. Mm. I've got to ask off topic, though. Is there, is there, like, even for you, Brooke, is there much American culture within Japan, though? Because of... Oh, yeah. Like, is there a Western mm. culture? Yeah. What do they call those girls um, in... Harajuku? Yeah, huh? the, yeah. The, and some and they because well, it's been so long for me and they tan themselves and they look like California oh, girls. Gal, yeah, the gals, right? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a big there's they're for dead and that others are listening or not. The, some of them get obsessed with California and they take it like as I've talked to you before. Sometimes in Japan they can take something from zero to one hundred really fast. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, straight yeah. to hundred. That yeah, that style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> isn't in is it Japan that they have the big Japan like the KFC culture? They have that. Is that? 
Uh, KFC. Is KFC big over there? Or is one of the big American Everything's tiny. Franchises. Like the Mac is, is tiny, isn't mm. it? All the sizing. Well, it's actually what it should be, to be honest, yeah, because then probably. America's on the other extreme to us where it's like, what is this size burger? Yeah, <laughs> yeah like a two-pounder in store or something, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And they've got the vending, the vending machine culture too. Is yep. it big over there? It's huge, yeah. You can buy like food from the vending machine and you can buy like items from the vending machine. I haven't found out you can buy cars. There's one, there's actually, yeah, see? You see, I it. did that when he did this to me. I <laughs> really? was like, you can yeah. buy a car? Yeah, that's like, crazy. Yeah, there's a vet, we could pop it up on the screen. I'd love but, to see yeah, that. I'll see yeah. if I can find, it. can find it. You keep talking, I'll yeah, have a so look around. There is a place in Japan that has, it looks like a, obviously it looks like a tower, right? Yeah. Like a normal tower. You wouldn't even think about it. And anyway, I found out one day, I was watching like one of those Foxtel shows or something that there was a, like they were, they were talking about vending machines and they were going from like large, the smallest to largest and the largest one happened to be this car, like literally like sports car. Inside vent- the machine. Yeah, like you could literally order a sports car in a vending machine and we'd come down on an elevator. Wow. And that was your car. And That's crazy. Li- and you just literally obviously pay millions for it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be in, um, I'm looking here everybody um but i think it might be in um singapore the one i'm looking oh, at that's singapore. coming mm-hmm. up but it'll give an idea i think japan might have it now i covered enough enough time to have a little breeze around i think it's coming up but this there will give go. you an idea of what it looks like wow it looks like there we go what a lineup portion yes there are rolls in there too yeah so i'll have this up on the screen for everyone so they can have a have a look Holy. at what's going on here yeah wow this is singapore this yeah, this is Singapore. Well, you've this been one there came as well, up. so that's a start. Yeah, this is crazy. wow. That's like <laughs> that's the extreme end of like you know you shop for like a one dollar water, and these shop for shop for like a one million dollar car. It's like they had some pretty weird things crazy. in Japan. I remember. Um, I was saying to um, to Dan, I remember even they had like the dirty underwear that they were selling in vending machines. Yeah, and I've heard like it. that. Some weird fetishes and that. So, you know, you can find a lot of things. Never <laughs> seen it. Yeah. So for people listening um, <laughs> away from the t- away from YouTube, yeah. basically we've just put up a, a vending machine, what it looks like. Yeah. Mm. So if you're so, on Spotify, it is on the YouTube link. Uh, we'll have it there. But, yeah, that's what we've been watching, watching cars being bought from a building that gets shipped down to you like a vending machine yeah. style. So away from that, away from that. <laughs> that's Jake, crazy. Before you found it, before I told you guys that, um, what's the most weirdest vending machine you found over there? Because there's some, there some odd ones. Yeah, I think so. Uh, in, in Japan, there's kind of like for like the car community, there's two main uh, like parking areas. One's mm. called Daikoku. And that's a big one in Yokohama, which every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's full of like people with sports cars or supercars just hang out there. There's another one in uh, Tokyo called Tatsumi. It's right mm. next to my shop, actually. And uh, that one had a vending machine where you could buy like dinner in there. So you just go, I want to have like ramen, put it in there. Yeah. Then like hot ramen comes out, chopsticks are in. So I thought that was crazy. You can buy yeah. like, you know, chicken nuggets in there. Really? And I was like, is there a guy inside making it? Where is it like, <laughs> from? So I don't know like how the quality was, like what they're using because it, yeah. it sits in there for a long time, I guess. But yeah, it tasted good. Yeah, apparently. But a lot of their vending machines are so, because there's a lot more people than obviously Australia, mm. like they're constantly restocked. Like I've seen like lobster And they're just ones. in the middle of streets, like yeah. side back streets, like suburbia. Mm. You'll walk down your suburban street and there's one just there. Randomly, if, yeah. yeah. In yeah. a quiet street you think like there's going to be no traffic for it, but it's yeah. there. It's there, yeah. And it's probably pretty used. There's yeah. a, it's probably not in Japan, but I've, <clears> I've done this vending machine research because I'm just a bit <laughs> of a weird guy, but there's this, one, there's this one vending machine in the world that literally pops out like retro cokes and 
wow. that, but no one else, but everyone's like, where are these drinks coming from? Cause mm. they're like, they don't exist anymore. How are they making them? Yeah. And stuff? yeah. Like, as you said, with the food and stuff, you're like, yeah. Who's behind it? Like, is there a person? I like, would hate to see you in front of one of these, Dan. He'd be there just pushing it, going, oh, I wonder what I get next. Oh, I wonder yeah. what I get next. I'd be like, please stop putting the money in. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so we'll obviously go back to you, to Japan and stuff like that. You did, um, before you super GT, you did super formula. Was also, you did, we're back to your open wheel thing. You went uh, F3. F3. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, so then I joined, that was 2018. Mm. And I was kind of just trying to angle myself, like how I, can position my path to go into a manufacturer mm. and uh and because that's kind of like the best way to have you know a chance in super gt super formula being with a manufacturer there so then uh yeah i ended up meeting a guy who just from networking i was just spending all my time networking for sponsors for teams um team introductions that kind of thing and i met a guy called philippe who's now become like a good friend of mine um and he was running a team in super taiku with a garage that's like the Volkswagen motorsport team. Yeah. So we ran TCR in like more of the early days. And um, that was for, yeah, the full season and my first 24 hour and stuff at that time. And um, yeah, great, great season basically there as like the pro. So Super Taiku's format is like an amateur, uh, like gentleman, basically a bronze Mm. is mandatory. And then one pro and then the rest of the lineup is up to you. So I got brought in as the pro and then it gave me another year extension basically to keep finding my way to the manufacturer. Yeah. Right. How do you, how does that all work over here? Cause obviously <coughs> I've had Cameron Crick here on the studio, like talking about how to, you know, get sponsors in Australia, but how, is, mm. how do you have to, you know, market yourself over there and get people involved? Cause obviously mm. you've got the Australian background, not the Japanese. Mm. So how do you entice them to back you instead of, you know, mm. someone local? You know what I mean? Well, actually, I, I just found like my niche there. So like working out like what's going to be a fit for me. And uh, basically it's like the expat group. Yeah. So I got myself just around because Philippe as well is like an expat. Um, and then there's like a pretty, you know, substantial community of like foreigners living in there in Tokyo for various reasons, businesses or um, usually business really. And uh, I joined forces with some of those like little companies in there, like Tokyo Supercars, for example, Mm. Um, became an ambassador for them, got to meet a lot of people. And uh, just doing that sort of route basically was like a big start in expanding the network for one and then finding people that are kind of the right fit for this kind of idea because they like cars and, Mm. you know, they're also foreigners here. It's quite relatable. So that was my start basically. Yeah, right. And you've, you've, was it, so it was Audi then, sorry, Audi then Honda basically, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like Audi, F3, Volkswagen, then Honda in 2020. Mm. What's the yeah. best one that you found working with though? Like Honda. Honda? <laughs> it, was, it was very cool. Yeah. Uh, I think just because like I was also helping develop the car mm. and we're also developing Yokohama's tire. So yeah. it was like, because Super GT is kind of like a tire war as well as a manufacturer war. There's like mm. Yokohama, Bridgestone, Dunlop, Michelin. they like supercars in the 90s. You know? Right, right, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I think even go-karting had that, you know, yeah. back in the nineties too. Yeah. I think uh, I remember Troy was saying he was developing like the tire tire for Vega or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Vega and Bridgestone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So that'd be interesting because now in the motorsport landscape, it's pretty much carbon copy or cut and copy mm-hmm. paste. Mm. And it's everything basically the same. The you know, same. Ferrari, you know, sorry, F1. Then there's, you know, they've all got the same tire manufacturer. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So this was like, I didn't know it was like this variable when I first came in with the Audi team because like, all the brands obviously have their own BOP, right? Like the performance of the vehicle is adjusted per series. 
Um, but then you have another element of, you know, the variables, which is the tires and some cars work really well. Like Yokohama, it's developed on GTRs. So they always work well on GTRs, but they don't really work that well on the, uh, on the Audi. Yeah. And, uh, I think Audi, it's, it's one of the best running costs, like Audi and Mercedes running cost is really good. So it's popular for teams. Yokohama, it's also a good, uh, cost, you know, for the season. So, uh, for the high budget teams, they'll just put the best stuff on when they can. But uh, for this kind of team, like they were quite budget conscious. So they had to find the balance basically yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, but then developing the tire with Bridgestone, uh, sorry, with, with Yokohama was really awesome too. Cause like you'd pick your sidewall, you'd pick your compound, you'd pick your construction type. You'd just say like, they'd give you like X amount of sets for, for preseason testing. And then Mugen was running all of the uh, like ECU and electronic side. So they'd say, we need you to test like this, 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 and give us, your feedback on like some ECU maps and then Yokohama would say like this, this, this on the compounds, pick your best stuff, put it together. Yeah. That was so cool. Did you get days at the track to yourself at all during these testing sessions or was it, did you get a lot of track time is what I'm saying? Not really. It's very like controlled. So for budget reasons, the series restricts your track time. So you have official testing only for the series or like tire testing for the manufacturer. Yeah. So I was just running in those two basically. Yeah. Have you ever thought about coming back here though and running any, yeah, I know you did the Bathurst race or Bathurst mm-hmm. Formula Ford and the 12 hour, mm. but did you ever cross your mind going, maybe I could try racing in Australia at all, or were you just not interested at all? Um, well, like I said, I was really interested in IndyCar and then uh, mm. Super GT, Super Formula, yeah. not so much like Viet Supercars, which mm. is what it was at the time. Yeah. And uh, nowadays like COVID's finished, things are opening back up. I'm kind of opening my radar again to what's around. So chatting with GT World Challenge teams, uh, considering maybe looking at supercar stuff, but, um, yeah, it's like a new thought basically. How yeah. do you find I got with, with the engineering, cause J- Japan's always really on top of their technology. It's a big thing for them and that, and what comes <clears> out <throat> of university is different. What I found, cause I did engineering at their universities over there mm. and the level, like you've got first year students around a university with robots, like it's insane. (laughs) And we do like, there's a lot of intelligent people here. It's like, you know, it's just the resources there are different, I think, which is what we don't necessarily have here. How do you find it in the pit, say, with your team and what's set up technological wise compared to say, say you're at a 24 hour event in Japan versus if you came here and did the 12 hour at Bathurst, how do you compare the two? Do you think the technology's different that Japan's got because we're not necessarily seeing it or do you think it's on par with how they do things um I've only experienced like the Australian side when it comes to 12 hour really yeah and uh obviously that's always like very much a private team yep. thing but Japan's thing is they have like the whole R&D aspect as well because if it's the manufacturer of the car or the tire they've got a whole heap of sensors a whole heap of like plans for like you know trying different things yeah. or if it's like a parts maker like Modulo or Endless or something, they want to develop their parts too. So there's a whole, um, I think a whole lot more focus on like improvement. Whereas I think in Australia and probably more like global racing, you just have like what's FIA homologated. So you don't even think about that stuff. You just focus on your data, your setup and your regular sensors. So that's the main 
point of difference, I think, because of the open development aspect. Yeah, okay. Are they sort of in, in line more, I know it's a little bit different, of course, but to F1 where they're trying to always look for technological improvements and what they can do year on year and changing because we see F1 come through mm. into the commercial market. Is that similar to what Japan's sort of trying to do as well? A little bit, yeah. We developed yep. some stuff during my Honda time that they said I can't tell anyone else about yep, because, okay. like, they want to use it for the future and yep. that kind of thing. So it's not to the extent, like, F1, you can probably just do it, like, you know, everything, right? Wing, engine yep. improvement, of course, within the regulation. Uh, it's like a smaller version of that, basically. So they'll pick some key components yeah, and then they'll try and develop that as well because it's, it's a lot less restricted. It's not FIA GT3. It's GT300. So there's actually, like, a carbon fiber tub uh, chassis as well that's homologated and uh it's just a bit open basically that car you can actually develop the aero on as well okay. yeah so yeah it's it's like that are they this is a little bit out of that but still in the technological realm because there's so much talk on evs do you see because we've seen toyota I talk to i was gonna say they're talking <laughs> about the hydrogen car are you seeing in japan because we're not necessarily seeing all the news there mm because they're obviously developing these techno- technologies at racetracks and so forth and then in-house elsewhere, are you seeing, is there a shift in Japan? Are they on the EV trail mm. or are they looking more at hydrogen and other options that maybe that we're not US, Australia and others haven't looked at yet? Mm, they're pretty heavily invested in hydrogen. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, Toyota and Honda are pretty much the two that are pushing that the hardest, yeah. particularly Toyota. Yeah, okay. Um, you might have seen, uh, so the, the boss or ex-chairman you know, chairman of Toyota is Akio Toyota. Mm. He actually races in Super Taiki as well as the AM driver for that car. Yeah, okay. And uh, his car is like a hydrogen-powered Corolla. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, so they're developing that in yeah. Super Taiki. And, um, and, yeah, I think the only one that's focusing on EV is really Nissan. Yeah. They've got a bit more of an international mindset, and I think because they're kind of owned and partially like controlled from overseas uh like you know chairman and things like that it's a bit more connected mm. but yeah i think it's tricky because in japan you probably remember right like the parking it's really limited yes for, yes. for the everyday person and there's those car parks where they you know you drop it off and they stack them yeah so yeah. mine's Ooh, like, like that like the thing we watched like that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's actually quite <laughs> terrifying i remember actually we thought it was funny at like 3am to ask the attendants to let us stand on there's like a big big circle where you drive your car up on but it goes around in circles before they take it up and we'd be asked so we could stand on it and be twirled around yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah, so common that stuff yeah. yeah so like the parking in my house is like that too it's a machine one yep yep but you can't charge an EV in those because you got to plug into a wire, but the car's going to be moving around. So yeah. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of uh that's all they got, you know? So like, what's your take on the future? Is it EV or is it hydrogen? Or do you reckon we still got, because F1's mm. still at that point where they're trying to go to like a, like a healthier fuel. Mm, yeah. It's, I don't know. It's we're in this weird patch of the, of the world where it's, you know, mm. everyone's on everyone's got their own quarter basically yeah i think the majority is pretty heavily leaning on ev probably mainly because like tesla's been really successful and then they've got like integration further for your house and stuff like that they kind of link it all up like tesla's basically a phone right mm. go home charge it charge it from your roof or store it in your battery yeah. it's a pretty like holistic setup i think that's pretty good um yeah i think ev in japan it's pretty hard though so they might be the ones to push the hydrogen 
It will be interesting because I still think there's a lot of questions around EV. Like I read a lot, I was talking to Dan about like in the States, they were saying the production of these batteries is absolutely decimating farmland because mm. of all the water that gets seeped out to do it. Mm. And it's going to be interesting to see is this the answer and then how they dispose of the batteries. And It takes four hours to put out a car, a Tesla. Apparently. Yeah, I saw it. some yeah. crazy stories online about the fireys mm. trying to put across the world different Teslas out and that. So, but there, yeah. I think there's a we're trying to work to something better, but then mm. it's trying to find the hiccups. And I thought it was really interesting watching the hydrogen. Like, how does that have less hiccups than what we're seeing with the EVs and that? Mm, yeah, well, people get worried because hydrogen can be like a bomb, right? Yes, you don't want to crash true. a car like yes. that. But apparently, it's not in a state where it's going to be at risk of crashing and turning into a bomb. Yeah. So that's a hiccup that maybe. Uh, it can avoid, yeah. Do they do they have any on the road yet in Japan, or is this just heaps? Not, oh, they actually are heaps, heaps on the road. And are they yeah. having any incidents with them? Not that I know of. Yeah, I think okay. the only downside with hydrogen at the moment is just expensive to fill up. Okay, yeah, yeah. But that's like you know, eventually if there's enough demand, there'll yeah. be enough supply, and it can fix it probably. It'll change, yeah, yeah. But a lot of the hybrids over there are actually hydrogen hybrids rather than EV hybrids. Okay, um, yeah. And yeah, you've done actually go back 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 to your racing a bit here. Yeah. You've actually done a bit of GT four racing as well, haven't you? Now and then, yeah. Now and then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've done so much stuff. Actually, <laughs> now I'm now they're trying to get GT four going next year on their mm. own here in Australia, and you've obviously gone out to the supercars and seen mm. you know the GT World Challenge. There was one GT four there, I think, on that weekend. But mm-hmm. how do you think it is over in Japan when you drove it? Was there a, was it a big field? Was it healthy or was it kind of just? GT4, it's the biggest right. field in Super Taikyu, actually. Really? Japan love GT4. Wow. Yeah. So that that's actually a good thing for Australia to hear. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like GT4 mm. is a – because everyone likes to talk – even on the internet, you're just like, oh, why doesn't supercars go to GT4? Because it's kind of that mixture between a production uh, car and a yeah. GT car. Do you know what I mean? That's true. It's always yeah. the core of the, the road car. Yeah. yeah. But so is GT3. Mm. Yeah. GT4, it's probably a little bit slow, I think, for, for supercars to transition to. Mm on that front but uh yeah gt4 it's got its kind of niche because the running cost funnily enough it's not that different to a gt3 yeah it's a little bit cheaper running cost and then like the maintenance and stuff it's a bit cheaper but not crazy so a lot of teams in china they want to run gt3 because they're like just the purchase price is really different yeah maybe you purchase like a gt3 car for like uh i don't know what what they cost now 800 grand is roughly yeah. what they were yeah and then the purchase price for a gt4 is like 200 grand so that's like crazy difference for the teams. Yeah. So in Japan, when the teams are funding it, they're very like money focused on that type of thing. But in China, GT3 is the only thing that they do really. GT4 doesn't make sense to them. Yeah, right. But the G- and the, but when, when you did GT4 though, do you reckon it, as I said back before, do you reckon it will take off in Australia though with the, like is, mm. there, is, there, a, like, is there a way that they like made it happen in Japan or anything like well, Cause, I think because there's a lot of people mm, still with the GT3 stuff, but then it's kind of like this mixture thing. Like, oh, do I want to buy GT4? Do you know what I mean? Mm, Some people buy those things just for club sprints, for example. Yeah, you know what I mean. But over in Japan, they clearly race them more. Race them a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's and pretty you, serious. And you raced it at Bath. You raced the Expo at Bathurst a few years ago. That yeah, was a GT4, wasn't it? That was a GT4. Yeah. yeah. How was that like to actually race in a GT4 at Bathurst against the GT3 cars and? Um, Pretty still- crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you're in your mirrors. There's like a 10 second lap gap, you know, from GT4 to GT3. Yeah. And across the mountain, you're, you can't really just get around people, especially mm. if they have like a bronze in the car, you might be faster in your GT4. Mm. And I remember there were times there'd be like two GT3s battling 
and then they've left the door open for me and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go in because like the next GD4 is not far behind me. Yeah. So then you somehow still mix in with the GD3s across the mountain. But then on the straight, it's crazy, the speed speed difference. Like you come out of the exit, check the mirror, no one's there. And then down the straight, you go to turn in and you're like, oh, I'll just check one more time. And then, oh, there's two of them right there now. So that was a pretty big thing to manage. Yeah. When was that? What was that year at Bathurst that you did? I did, um, I actually did the Janetta in 2017. Yep. So and that was a GD4 as well. GD4, yeah. Yep. And then I did the KTM in 2019. Yeah, right. Did, did you have any factory support or the KTM crossbow? Was that KTM Was that a KTM factory deal or? Uh, no, that was just a friend of mine was running the car in uh, his name, Zen Lo. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'd met him. I got uh, a nice chance to do a race for Super Trofeo Lamborghini in Japan back in 2015. Um, off the back of the Formula Masters Championship, their prize was basically uh, one race in Super Trofeo. Yeah, right. And then I met this guy Zen there. He raced, and then he was like, "Hey, I'm running a car in Bathurst. Do you want to join me on that?" Yeah. And then that's how it went, basically. So it's very private. Yeah, right. cool. Rookie, you got anything? Well, I just, I just wanted to know about the. We've got like you've probably seen. I don't know if you're across the the fan base. What we've got in supercars, and there's a little bit of a heated debate about the whole series, and in terms of entertainment and cost of tickets and getting people to the track and they're kind of like they're saying we're losing a bit of a fan base and we've mm-hmm. even got people in the news now we're reading looking like this is the Shahins that are looking yeah, the to Shahins are looking at oh yeah yeah. yeah there's a whole yeah. B thing in Japan like what is the fan base my question is what is it like is it packed out crowds is it very mm. engaged do people like really follow the drivers you know do you have hardcore fans and mm. what is it like America? How do you sort of see the fan base and that over there? It's the most hardcore I've ever seen, but even yeah. more than America. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit of how it is in Japan. As yeah. you say, everything's like 10 out of 10 or, yeah. or zero out of 10. So I remember I went for Super GT there, my first race. I hadn't even driven yet. And then people brought like photos of me to sign and stuff. And I was like, whoa, like, <laughs> like what's going on? You haven't even raced yet. Never raced, yeah. It, was oh, just, wow. it turned up for practice, actually, like preseason practice. Yeah. Yeah. And then so is this just from the net them. they'd seen? Like, Yeah, they yeah. just printed out my, like, Instagram photos or something. Something. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. But they do love foreigners. Yeah. I know when right. I was over there watching and that, they get real excited by other people mm-hmm. coming over, which is good because you're like, you know, received well in that. Yeah, I think they love it when you love Japan. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. 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 So, um, but yeah, to answer your question, I think, uh, like the fan base there, it's really hardcore Yep. and maybe that's because a lot of the things that are running, like say like the team or, or whatever, it's like all, uh, manufacturer stuff. Yeah. So people are like, Oh, I like Honda. So yep. I have like five teams I can support here. I wear Honda stuff and then you find your favorite driver and the grid walks are really uh, interactive as well. You go up in like a queue and then you can shake hands and get photos with the drivers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very accommodating. Um, or you may be like a car guy, you like tuning parts and then you want to go and put, I don't know, like wed sport wheels on it or something and on your car and then, oh, they have a team. So that's my team now. It's like very connectable. Yeah. But I don't know, like I haven't followed supercars too much, but I think it's like more like private uh, teams running less like, less like uh your own sort of interests can integrate to the series. You more just pick a team that you like, right? Yeah, okay. And do they have a lot of merchandise then for all the fans and that, including driver merchandise, team merchandise that really just helps to... Yeah, yeah. Do they have have merchandise trucks like America or do they have like their own kind of like Um, tailgating as they call it, like out of the back of cars and... 
Do they tailgate or do they take it no, very no. seriously? It's it's more like order orderly, yeah. So they'll yeah, have okay. like the fan fan section basically a lot of like events going on. They have the race queens as well, which is like grid girls. Yep. There's uh, I swear like doing photos there on like the pre-race grid. Mm-hmm. I'm like posing there with my helmet and my teammate. And like half the photographers aren't focusing on us. They're focusing on the grid girls. The grid girls. So <laughs> yeah. there's people that come like for that as well. So oh, okay. yeah. there's like a lot of elements that attract people to the racing there, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because Japan will be the, one of the only countries in the world still going around with grid girls. Yeah, probably. Whole, yeah. Yeah. yeah that right. got pretty it's, abolished, but yeah. it's too, it's too fundamental in the like fan base now mm. for, for them to move it out of Japan. And it's actually in the regulation. You have to enter with at least two grid girls in your team to, to make your entry. Really? Yeah. Wow. So the girls paid well, looked after by the team. Very well, yeah. yeah. It's like a very respected they're, – they're basically celebrities. Yeah, okay, yeah. Like yeah. their following, it's way out – exceeds the driver's following on Instagram and stuff. Yeah. And they can get gigs outside of that from modelling and yep. uh, stuff as well. So it's a legitimate career option over Okay, there. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And they looked after also in terms of – uh, I know Japan does have its, you know, underbelly of that side of things, but are the girls <laughs> looked after in terms of security? Because I know that I can imagine I've seen it over there. They got they have crazy fans coming after them and that. So do they right. have to have security for the girls or are people a little bit more respectful at the track? And Yeah, pretty respectful. Like they, yeah. they do have them like, you know, as with the drivers, as with yeah. the team, you can't just go into the paddock and do whatever yep. you want and say, you know, hire to anyone. Yeah. They've got sort of like, you know, a bit of like protection for everyone. Yeah. Okay. On that front. Um, so I haven't seen any issues at okay, all actually. That's good. And yeah. everyone seems to love the job and yep. uh it's like a nice atmosphere there that they that they bring. So uh I don't see it going anywhere from, yeah, okay. from that side of things. Yeah, mm. okay. Yep. Cool. Well, Jake, you've basically nearly reached the end of the podcast, mm-hmm. which you've done really well because I know I've seen you being getting a bit squidgy like myself in the, in the couch. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty but, comfortable actually. Yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> but I, I used to have this game show earlier in the season and last season um, called The Fast Five. Oh, damn. Uh, but, I, I, but it's okay. not The Fast Five. No, we just like, cause is, we got rid of the Fast Five, but I said to Dan, oh, I want to do a little bit of game show because it's Japan, right? <laughs> Japan loves a good game show, but no, we're yeah. not going to like throw you off the balcony or anything yeah. extreme like okay. a Japanese game show or something won't dive out of the wall or something. <laughs> so basically I, I'd done my work and Brooke's like, I just want to add this part. So this is her part into the show. It's basically, obviously you've got the game show part. Yeah. How, many, how many questions we got, Brooke? We've got, well, it's, 10 and 10. So do you know Japan or Australia better? We're going to have some fun with. So we've got five questions on each, which are just straight out answers you give. And then there's five questions on each, true or false. Okay. So we're going to start with... Japan. Do you, okay. How well do you know Japan? Yeah, Brooke, you, can take, you can take the Japanese questions. I'll take the Aussie one. Yep. <laughs> All right. Okay. So the first one, if you're taking the fastest train, which is the Shinkansen for everyone, the bullet train from Tokyo to Osaka, how long will it take? Uh, about an hour and a half, hour 40. It said two and a half hours. Two and a half. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I, I couldn't remember. I was sitting there going, I know it's the furthest point. I remember to Nagoya it was like, from Tokyo to Nagoya was like an hour or something. But then I was like, I had to like, I was mm. like, I know Osaka was a bit further. You two have been there. I have not. So Maybe it's like Nagoya train. I'm thinking of actually, yeah. It's a great train though for anyone who hasn't been on it. It's just like. It's like an aeroplane, yeah. Oh, it's so comfortable. Best thing and you just fly straight through. And, it's, and the leg space. Yeah. I'm like, wow, they made massive leg space here. <laughs> yeah. You know the like flight cost and the uh, train cost, Shinkansen cost, yeah. it's quite similar to go from like Tokyo to uh, Kyoto or something like that. Yeah. Time is pretty similar. And then, yeah, 
And you uh, take as much stuff as you want on. Don't have to worry about in, like getting in and off. Like I never took a mm. plane. I only took a plane when we had to go to Okinawa. That yep. was the only time I ever took one. That's the furthest island for anyone, and it's like their version, I guess, of Hawaii, Maui, down there. So yeah. does he get a green tick or a red light? That, no, one. that one's wrong. That's wrong. Sorry. Sorry. Damn. Sorry. All right. Um, which band was Nami Amuro part of in 1992? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it from when I was there as the singer herself, and I okay. didn't know this, but it was the Super Monkeys. Okay. Um, right. Okay. What is Pokemon an abbreviation for in Japan? Oh, Pocket Monsters. There we go. Yeah, we got one. Go on. On the um, board. And how many times has Tokyo hosted the Summer Olympics? Uh, I think they did one in like the 60s or 70s, like mm-hmm. quite far back. Yeah. And then I'm going to say twice. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Got that one. Yep. And what musical genre is Koda Kumui, Kumi, sorry, Koda Kumi known for? I'm just going to guess. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it, is it metal? Nah, R and B. It's gonna be. I knew you were gonna go for one or the other because in Japan they're both popular. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy the metal scene. Um, all right, true or false? Japan is the oldest monarchy in the world. Uh true. Mm-hmm. Yep, true. Um, Japan records more earthquakes per year than any other country in the world. Probably true. Yep, true. I felt coming some, back on the trail. Did you feel yeah. some? Ask, did you feel some big ones while you've been over there? Yeah, I almost fell off the couch from one. Yeah, before. yeah, really. Yeah. Wow. Well, I was that. on the edge of the couch, so I gave it a good chance. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being woken up. The worst one I had was, you know, when you it felt like someone had grabbed both of my shoulders and was throwing me violently in bed. And yeah. You know, you know, like you're asleep, and then you wake up, and you're really confused because you think you're being attacked. Yeah, and like it's a ghost actually, or something's <laughs> on you. Yeah. <laughs> that was the most scariest one, but others, everything else was tremendous. And then right. you come back here and you know you some you probably walk around here expecting a tremor and there's nothing, nothing there. Your, yeah. your body's just like, what is this? <laughs> Eventually you get so used to it, you just wake up in your bed and you're just shaking around, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, it'll, yeah. it'll be gone in a sec. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Tokyo Auto Salon started in 1989. Um true or false, huh? Yep. Yep. I don't know. I'm gonna go for false. Yep. It was 1983. Oh. <laughs> 1983 it started. They've been Tell going for well. a long time, that one. How many green lights has he got on True or False? Three. Three? Yep. And how many questions has he done from that? Um, three, five. So we've got five out of eight so far. Five out of wow. Yeah, doing, doing well. well. Doing okay. well, Jakey. Nice. Okay, here's a car one. Honda overtook Volkswagen to become the best-selling car brand in the world in 2020. That's got a... No, that's going to be false. <laughs> True, it was Toyota. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, we'll have those brands in there and see what happens. Yeah. Um, all right, so this is an, um, an anime question. In Attack on Titan, the first mm-hmm. wall attacked was Wall Maria. Um, f- True or false, right? Yep. Oh, man, it's been a long time since I saw it. I'll say false. That was true. Ah, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So we've got one, two, three, four, five. Six out of ten for Japan. Six out of ten okay. for Japan. Now's the Australian side, Jake, before you can go home. Actually gonna go test to the loyalty, right? Yeah. 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 You're literally going to Japan tomorrow. So. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll start with the Australian stuff. All right. Which surfing world championship, which famous surfing Kelly Slater. World- 
No, I didn't get to finish it. <laughs> Which surfing world champion famously punched a shark to save himself from being eaten? Oh, I remember it was in the news, right? Like yeah. 10 years ago or something. It was something. a meme too at the time. Yeah. A meme. meme. Um, do I get any hints, like first letter or anything like that? Uh, M. Mark? No. no. Mick Fanning. It was Mick, Mick Fanning. Fanning. Oh, yeah. It's one of those common names that like, when you hear it, you'll be like, damn it. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> Number two, should be easy. Um, who won the 2022 New South Wales Formula Ford Kent Series? Oh, what was his name again? <laughs> Dan Holohan. That's it. <laughs> See, you back on one uh, There it is. Yeah. By the way, Brooke wrote all the questions. I wrote so, this. So I think it's funny because some people like look and go, I don't know, and he always gets the shit, so yeah. I did that just to annoy him. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if I said I don't know. Yeah, I, know. I, I would have killed the vibe a bit. You know? actually, <laughs> I would have thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually had that from a journo before and he was actually asking about Formula Ford. I was oh, like, really? Yeah, I was like, I actually won last It was actually year. on the mic, wasn't it, when you were commentating with him at yeah. Eastern Creek? That, that was great. Uh, <laughs> that was embarrassing. But anyway, what is the most dangerous bird in Australia maybe and the world um it'd either be magpie or the plover i guess no oh, it's dan's favorite yeah, it's the, the dinosaur bird the cassowary isn't yeah, it the cassowary. oh yeah right all right next one what is the main ingredient in vegemite the main ingredient hmm. uh damn feels like it's only salt <laughs> <laughs> Brooke hates it, by the way. Yeah. I hate it. I don't really like it either, but oh. sometimes I get a craving for it. But. Yeah, same here. You yeah. know, yeah. Well, the main ingredient is yeast. And I was going to say, you know what it um, reminds me of in Japan, which I could not stand? You either love or hate you it. You say natto? Yes, yeah. there we are. <laughs> Did you like natto? I hated it. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> I, couldn't get, I couldn't get around it. Yeah. And question number five for part one. Um, what is Danny Rick's nickname, Daniel Ricardo's nickname? Oh, the honey badger. Yeah, there we go. go. How, many, how many green lights? Two out of five we've got so Two far. Two out of five. You can okay. come back on the true or false. I need at least four to tie it out. Yep. Right? Yep. Is the drop bear real? Oh, depends who you ask, but probably <laughs> probably no. <laughs> uh, I love convincing foreigners. <laughs> was the first life-saving club founded in Manly Beach? Hmm. Uh, Yeah. I'll say, yeah. I was Bondi. Ah. I I tried to trick you because you're from Northern Beaches. Yeah, (laughs) no. Didn't know it. (laughs) Uh, All right, the next one. (laughs) I can't believe you wrote this one. (laughs) (laughs) Hope you're listening, Paul Morris. This one's for you. Does Paul Morris follow me on Instagram or socials? Follow you? Yeah, does Paul Morris, the the dude Paul Morris. Yeah. Oh, um. You know, because I'm so big on social media and all. Yeah, I mean, he'd have to, right? I think he does. No, he doesn't no, he actually. Doesn't. Oh. And this is a very contentious issue for Dan because he's a massive, massive Paul oh, Morris massive fan. fan. Yeah. Very sore about it. Well, so, Paul, if you're listening, Dan Dan is a massive well, fan mo- and he's you know, very we've, sad. We've been in motorsport for years and I thought he would follow me. But anyway. He's right. sad. He tries to follow Brooke. He's anyway. sad. You made That's him sad, That's the strategy, man. though. you gotta, you got to follow him, like some stuff, and then... Comment on, on a, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the format. That's what Brooke said. She goes, you can just be more active, so make sure he sees you. You know. <laughs> anyway, um, the next one, babe, is it the highest grossing Australian film? Probably not. Yep, that's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. As in, I'm wrong. Oh, sorry. No, babe is the highest grossing film. Uh, true it or is false. Yes, yes. Okay. false. You're right. Okay, yes. okay. Look okay. okay. yeah. at all Dundee was. 
Really? Right. I love these true or false because then I go, shit, no, you're right. <laughs> and before the last question, how many how many has he got for Japan and how many has he got for Australia? We've got so far four for Australia. It's lucky you're flying back. <laughs> yep. All right. <laughs> Japan's like, we welcome you. <laughs> how many has Jake got for Japan? Four so far. This Japan one. was six, right? Oh, what's um, the scoreboard? Six, yes, six for Japan. So six four at the moment. Yep. Okay. So I can't win in Australia. Oh, you can't Australia. win for Australia. And you can pass Australia. You can pass. Yeah. Okay. The ne- the last one is is Shane Van Gisbergen off to NASCAR in twenty twenty four? I think he is. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. He's saying farewell too. Yeah. You're all leaving us. So, <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> Hopefully, on these YouTube graphics, um, we'll put near Jack's head. <laughs> the scoreboard with Japan and Australia. Yeah. What, what was the end score there? It six, was six, um, six to five. five. Yeah, six, six to five. Okay, close. close. Yeah. Well, it shows that you love the country that you live in. So that's a yeah. I'll thing. show my team that, and they'll yeah. they'll sign me next year, hopefully. Yeah. Now I've made this mistake, Jake. Before before we go, I normally like, oh, you know, that was a great podcast. But is there anything else like you'd want to chat about, or did I miss anything out on your mm. racing career, or anything that was? Um, I think that's, that's the main stuff, but have, have you done any kart racing recently? What's the latest with the whole uh, scene? Oh, uh, with me? Yeah. You want to know? Um, I, I basically just have a go-kart just with my coach, Bart, but nah, yep. the, the basically the Is whole- Is it Bart th- price or- Bart more. More, okay. Bart more. So Bart, um, raced F3 back in the day and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And he's a GT coach himself. Um, but yeah, we just race carts together. I have not gone back into the go-karting scene at all. Yeah. I do know from Tommy Williamson who came on the show- that it's changed a lot. Yeah. and Good way, bad way? Uh, I'd both. say it's it's a bit of both. So mm. it's, it's the thing is from where we're coming from, from what we started with at the podcast and, you know, you're talking about it with your dad and Wollongong Kart Club, there's mm. none of that these days really. I think there is, but it's not AKA regulated. Oh, okay. That's what I should say. Isn't like the level's just gone up where it's not really – yeah, so you've got to go to basically there's like multiple different um, councils or karting associations now opposed to back when we were racing there was only mm. this year just the AKA. Yeah, Those were right. the whole thing. So there's basically club racing but it's under, you know, non-sanctioned rules essentially. Mm-hmm. You could just turn up to a track and race but there's no – there's not the system that really goes on and, and also there's other things where I've heard, which Tommy said, where you're paying 200 grand to be – in a top team, do you know what I mean? Whoa, which, which really? is basically with him, yeah. So in Europe, or that's happening even no, in Australia here because they're bringing they're bringing that kind of European level and quality and all that out here now, are they? Yeah, so that's changed. Wow. Yeah, and Stars of Karting was kind of big for us, but now they're basically going all out. And I think you know Tyler Greenbury, he's got his own team. A lot of a lot of drivers nice. are starting their own team too now. Yeah, which is good to see. This is only what I'm literally seeing from Instagram. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just basically what I've seen of Instagram. Would I like to go back to it? Mm. Um, Brooke already knows. No, I'm too old and I can barely survive the night race. <laughs> so. <laughs> so that's basically, that's my catch up on it. Would I nice. like to do a one, one-off cart race? Mm. Yeah. Um, but what about yourself? I actually did say, this is the one question that I did forget. You actually, were you coaching? You've got a go-karter with your with your logo and how did, actually how did that logo in your, because you're big into art, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess a little bit like I yeah, design my helmets and my merch and stuff like that just for like fun, mm. really. Um, but yeah, I was training a Carter who's now racing in the Spanish championship. Mm. Uh, and then he, he, funnily enough, when I was coaching him, I had a helmet, which was basically like a star cross design. Yeah. I love that helmet actually. It was really cool. Yeah. I just wanted to try and like bring the visor into the overall design rather than having it sort of bolted onto the front. Yeah. Uh, and then he just wanted to use that as a base for his design. So now he's running that in the championship, which is kind of cool to see a bit trippy. Cause it looks like 
That's yeah. me driving. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's he's kind of on his way now racing for uh, planning to race sort of like, you know, bigger Rotax World Final. I think he's vying for a spot because Spain has got only one ticket. I think mm. he's running maybe first or second. So hopefully he can get the ticket. Yeah. yeah cool. Cool. Is there any other interesting stuff that you've like liked in Japan and in, in America and Australia? Like is there anything – actually, we'll go with a pretty simple question. What's your most favorite track that you've ever driven on? Oh, that's such a hard question. Um, I'd say my top three, I'll pick one out of it. It's going to either be Laguna Seca Mm -hmm. or it's going to be Bathurst or. um, You're going to have to go with one at the end of this, Jake. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe I'm going to say Laguna Seca. Yeah. It just feels good. Like the, the, the corkscrew section in the pro Mazda, cause it drops away so quickly you basically just you're basically like floating as you come off it and you're bouncing off the rev limiter all the way down until you land at the bottom. Yeah, right. And wow. it just feels like a roller coaster. It's so cool. Yeah, so right. is that located? In in California, isn't it? Yeah, California. Yeah, okay. Just okay. Sure, not sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yep. yeah. And then um the other question was relating to that. So you'd gone with Laguna Seca. Mm-hmm. On Laguna Seca, what car would you drive out of everything that you've driven? Um out of everything I have driven so far, yeah, probably LMP2. An LMP2. Yeah, I think that track, I, I just drove it a few times on like Gran Turismo and stuff. And I feel like the more downforce you put on, the more fun that circuit gets because it's quite high speed and flowing. So I think an LMP2 car would be pretty crazy around there. Were you yeah. a big fan of that? Because Gran Turismo, the, the movie's just come out. Were you a big fan yeah. of the game back in the day? Uh, I didn't actually have PlayStation. I was always on the Xbox. Xbox yeah. side of things, yeah. But actually, uh, it's like side note, I'm running the Twitch stream for Super Taiku right now. Yep. Uh, so it's got an English stream uh, from this year. And uh, I had on for one of the commentary team, Jan Martinborough, who's actually the yeah. base for the, the, the movie. The movie itself. Yeah. Wow. wow. So, uh, yeah, he's gotten too busy now, obviously, with this stuff. So different lineup, but, yeah, super cool guy. Is he still racing? I actually don't know. A little bit. He was. Yeah. He did the Fuji 24-hour. Mm-hmm. This yeah. year? This year? Yeah, yeah, okay, yep. Ran in a Nissan. He's still got a Nismo connection going on, but nothing maybe full season Yeah. Okay. right now. Yeah, cool. Awesome. So what are your, I was going to ask before we wrap up, what are your plans for the future like in terms of are you going to stay long-term in Japan or do you have like a big dream to go back to try in US again or? Um, I'm looking into I kind of I guess making two avenues progress. One is the racing side. So I want to carry on racing in Japan. I'm also looking to add in like a GT World Challenge Australia aspect. So kind of a bit more of an international calendar. And uh, I just started a shop in Australia as well. So we're going to launch at Time Attack. We have our own booth. Oh, so you are, oh, oh, that was going to be my next wish, question. Yeah. Are you going to be there? Yeah, so actually I'm racing that weekend. Oh, wow, But cool. I have business partners who are going to be there for the stand. Wow. Because uh, Brooke hasn't been there and I've said to her, it is basically like, Auto, auto salon. salon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but, why I said, Dan, we're going to go this year. So for anyone listening now, because, oh, actually, I think when your podcast will be on the 5th of September and Auto Salon is the second. Second, so we'll yeah. Be re- so just go. returned when your podcast launches. Okay. Yeah. Promote it with it all. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So check it out then. We actually have a car on the Yokohama booth. Yeah. Yep. So we bought Max Arito's uh, R31 GTSR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 900 horsepower. Uh, I just sent it from a, from Japan like over Christmas. Yeah. We're just tuning it and stuff for Australian fuel right now, but it's going to be on Yokohama's booth. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a booth which is called Ginza Garage. Yeah. And that's kind of the new shop basically. Um, and we're an ASM, which is a tuning brand for Honda distributor. 
yep. and Mugen as well. So some Honda stuff, basically. Have you spoken to Ian Baker at all? Like, have you actually gotten to know him or you just I was going through his marketing department? To I was going to meet him when he came to Japan, but yeah. schedule didn't line up. Uh, but my business partner, Benny, is pretty good with him, pretty yeah. tight with him. So it's been through that way, basically. We've do you, got do you the plan, slot. Do you plan on running a time attack car in the future? Yeah. Is that, is that something you're looking uh, at? I'm talking with a shop at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe I'll just not expose them unless they you know, nah, if they back out or yeah, something of right course, yeah, yeah. so talking with a shop at the moment um pretty yeah reputable brand in japan they're interested to come out yeah uh they have a driver they're using for all the like attack scuba stuff right now they've used him for a long time but for time attack it's an australian circuit so they're like off we go then mm. uh you can drive does japan have their own version of world time attack or like their own championship or anything i know they're big into mm. their drifting championship they've got like attack scuba mm. or scuba is like their version basically. So yeah, okay. you might have driven it on Gran Turismo. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's the time attack track yeah, basically. Right. Okay. Scuba 2000. Yeah. Cool. Imagine that's going to have a big crowd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's weird. They wrap it up in like a day. It's just yeah, like a okay. one day thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty uh, popular internationally now though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely be yeah. promoting that. Um, letting everyone know the week before your episode comes out when we do the highlights. We'll be like, go see Jake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's next week on the podcast. So, yeah, that's yeah. no, good timing. I appreciate cool. it, yeah. 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 Cheers, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah. great to see logo, you again. by the way. And yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Thank cool. you. Cheers. Thanks, thanks guys. Bye. Appreciate it. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. You can also find the full episode and highlights on YouTube. Yes, you can see your favorite guests and us on camera. All the links are in the show notes and don't forget to subscribe to the channel. More than a motorsports podcast, stories beyond the helmet. Next episode coming soon.